You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be reacting to some of the latest reports with regards to Arsenal's pursuit of players this January. Of course, the January transfer window is fast approaching its end and Arsenal have done nothing in terms of bringing players in in order to enhance the team as we prepare for the business end of the season. And it's not ideal. A lot of us are frustrated. Um, some of you have kind of made your, your opinions and your views clear um, on, on what exactly you feel about it all. Uh, a few of you just telling me that there's no picture uh, on the video. Bear with me one second. Here we go. Are we back? Let me know. Are we back? Apologies. I changed some settings earlier on to try and sort out an issue that we had and I forgot to put it back on. So please do let me know. Give me a thumbs up in the chat if the video has returned. Oh, dreadful start. Dreadful start to the show. It's technical gremlins coming after me all day today. For those of you that were with us earlier on, uh, I tried to do a live interview with former Arsenal Academy man, uh, Ishmael Diallo. And just when we were getting into the really interesting and exciting part of the discussion, um, the internet started giving us shit. Um, and, and bless Ishmael, he tried to go elsewhere. He tried so many different things for us to get that interview done uh, earlier today. It wasn't to be, but we have booked it in uh, to be done a little bit later on this week. So we're going to get that interview out to you because it really, really is uh, going to be fascinating. There's so much insight, so many cool stories about so many of the players now that have, have continued in their push through the Arsenal ranks and now find themselves in the first team, including Emil Smith-Rowe, Bukayo Saka, etc., etc. So really looking forward to, to, to doing that interview, to filming it, to recording it and to putting it out to you guys. Right, uh, let's get on to today's news. Um, <laughs> uh, loving some of your comments in the chat, guys. Thank you uh, so, so much. Really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so for those of you asking why that video earlier on, Ishmael Diallo, uh, didn't or, or isn't available to you guys uh, right now, is because we had some technical problems and we will get that out to you a little bit later on this week. We're going to record it in a different environment and hopefully it should be fine. Uh, right. Let's um, let's keep moving through the comments before we dive uh, straight into the big news today. Harvey says, hey, Harry, you look so down on 90 men. That's why I said, let's get some signings, Harry, that they read that up in the show. Uh, keep up your great work. Do you know what, Harvey? I'm feeling a little bit down about the, the situation around Arsenal at the moment. Not because... I'm being overreactionary, you know. In fact, I feel like I'm being quite the opposite. But it's just like people are just waiting to take a swipe at us all the time. And it's really, really frustrating as an Arsenal fan. And I always feel that there's too much, not not from those guys, not, not from the guys at Night in, they're brilliant, but there's always too many people that claim to know 
what is going on at our football club and and that information or that view is often based on very little uh concrete evidence and it just frustrates me that you know we drop some points which obviously you don't want to do but when we do drop points we don't only have to contend with the disappointment of dropping those points but we have to almost defend our team against our own it drives me mad um but cheers for your comment as well right let's um Let's dive into this now. So let's talk a little bit about the big story doing the rounds today. And it's originating from uh, David Ornstein of The Athletic. He claims that Arsenal are now considering making a move for Alexander Isak, a player that we've talked about quite a bit, a player that we've been linked with quite a bit, a player who I'm sure a lot of Arsenal fans would be quite happy to see join the club. And obviously, what does that tell you? It kind of tells you or indicates that Arsenal don't feel particularly um, confident about the idea of bringing Dusan Vlavic in before the end of the month. Now, it's not impossible. Um, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Arsenal can per persuade or convince the Serbian that this is the place for him. Um, you know, we are, I think, overall still moving in the right direction. I, I think that we're going to have setbacks. I think that I was mentally prepared for those setbacks. Yesterday was another one of those. And, you know, as you guys who would have seen or listened to the reaction podcast uh, that is out now, I was upset, frustrated, angry, disappointed. But it, as I kept saying, it doesn't really change my perception. That game in isolation doesn't really change my perception with regards to how things are going for Arsenal at this moment in time and the direction of travel. So that's that's where I'm at on that. But obviously... Vlavic has been someone that we've been heavily linked with throughout this window. And we know, we do, we know that Arsenal have an interest in the player. We know that Arsenal have offered the type of fee that would make Fiorentina sell him, the type of fee that Fiorentina feel is fair for the player. But the issue that we're being told right now is that, of course, he is not responding, his representatives are not responding or haven't at least shown any indication that they'd be willing to entertain the idea of him joining Arsenal this month. And we've, we've had this debate over and over again. Should we be going so big on a player that doesn't even know if he wants to play for Arsenal Football Club? And again, you know, that debate comes up and people say, well, why on earth are we pushing for this guy? He doesn't even want to be here. Forget him move on, etc., etc. But at the end of the day, if you want to bring in the best players and you're not currently at the level that you want to be or aspire to be, there's always going to be, there's always going to have to be some convincing. There's always going to be an element of you having to, you know, really go out on a limb and really kind of woo the player and make him feel as though that's the place for him. And so it was never going to be easy. It was never going to be, hey, Dusan, you're one of the hottest properties in European football. We've met what Fiorentina are asking. There's going to be no hesitation now, I'd assume, from your end. Surely you're going to pack your bags and run here. You know, that that's unrealistic. And, and I've said that all along. But there comes a time where you have to drop an interest if it is clearly not progressing. And it feels like it's not progressing at the moment. It feels like we've been stuck in limbo with this whole Vlavic thing for ages, throughout the whole month, in fact. And now we're in a place where I think a lot of us feel that we do need a centre-forward, that the difference between signing a centre-forward and not uh, could be a Champions League position. 
you know, you look at Alexander Lacazette's performances of late, you look at his performance yesterday, and I don't even hold him overly responsible for this. Like, as an individual, I don't sit there and, and criticise him as a player because I think effort-wise, he's 10 out of 10. I think he works hard. I think he's got the right attitude. I just think that a lack of, of you know, of goals or him not always being clinical has been an issue that we've experienced throughout his Arsenal career, not something that should surprise us. But the big problem here is that we don't have anything beyond him. We know the Aubameyang situation is what it is. And obviously, bloody uh, Emmanuel Adebayor decided to chip in on that discussion and conversation today. I don't know if anybody's heard his comments where he said, uh, Arsenal, they don't know how to forgive uh, or they never learn how to forgive. And he said that he doesn't believe there's a way back for Aubameyang because, and I quote, it happened to me. How about players just display the right attitude? How about players don't uh, cross the lines? How about players don't take the piss? And how about players do a professional job based on the fact that they are professionals and that they are getting paid a shit ton of money? That's where I'm at on on the whole uh, Aubameyang thing. And look, there'll be a lot of people out there now, and particularly if our season starts to unravel, who will be looking at Mikel Arteta and saying, you took the wrong decision with regards to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. You froze him out when we needed him most, and now we don't have another, uh, another option, an alternative option to Alexander Lacazette outside of Eddie Nketiah, and we are suffering. I, I just think for me that, you know, the the reality of this is when Aubameyang was first dropped and Arsenal were picking up results, every single one of us went, that's good management. It's strong management. It's good from Arteta. He's changing the culture. He's resetting the culture. But if the results don't go our way, we're going to turn around and say, oh, no, you made a mistake. And I, I hate that. I hate that kind of revisionism, if that's what you call it. I hate the fact that people are so quick to hammer down a view or an opinion or criticize someone when at the same time or at the time the event occurred, we all had the same view or, or there or thereabouts. At the end of the day, hindsight is a wonderful thing. But if you went into every scenario and every situation already knowing what the outcome was going to be, you'd never make a mistake. And that's just not human. That's just not the way life goes. So I, for one, am not going to be hammering the boss with regards to the Aubameyang thing, because the guy's attitude stinks. We've seen it over and over again. And, and the fact that we're short now is obviously a problem. That's a, a byproduct of that. Um, and we're looking now to speed up the plans to bring in a striker, plans that I believe were in place for the summer. We're looking to bring those forward because of where we are now. But that still doesn't mean that Aubameyang is in the clear or that Aubameyang deserves to be welcomed back into the side with open arms. We also know, before we move on to talk about Isak and Vlavic and all of that in a little bit more detail, while I'm on the subject of Aubameyang, we know that the interest in Aubameyang from the Middle East is still there. We know that Arsenal are yet to respond to that interest, but we're also hearing noises that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is not interested himself personally in making that kind of move, that he wants to stay in Europe. He wants to play in, and I quote, one of the top leagues um, and obviously uh, moving out uh, to Saudi Arabia or the Middle East, with all due respect, doesn't necessarily mean that he'd be going to one of the better leagues. And I think that could be a problem in us trying to obviously offload him. Uh, just before we continue, I just want to take this super chat uh, before I miss it, because 
sometimes I do miss these and I really, really apologize, but I really do appreciate the donations, really do appreciate the support on the channel. Um, this one comes from uh, Wayne Sage, who says, Isak, who we're going to talk about in just a second, is so overrated. He scored double digit goals once in the past three seasons. He's only scored four goals this season. He's no better than Lacazette. He screams a Chamak-like signing average. Wow. Wow. Um, I'm not sure I I completely agree with you. And, and the reason I, I, I'm not sure I agree with you is because I think that Isak has got lots to offer in terms of his build-up play. I think he's a really technically gifted and sophisticated footballer. Um, and I think with Alexander Isak, right, you're looking at a 22-year-old who's got room to improve and develop. But I do agree with you on the whole doesn't score enough goals thing. I agree with you that that is a concern. If I'm comparing him and Dusan Vlavic right now, my big worry is that Alexander Isak comes in and doesn't bring us the goal return that we need. But equally, a top striker, I think, helps increase the outputs of the players around him. And, and particularly in this system that we've seen Mikel Arteta play, I think a, a top striker means, um, it, it means to me that, that Smith Rowe does more in front of goal, that Saka does more, that Martinelli does goal, because that player is also facilitating their progress, is part of a press that allows uh, them the, the rest of those players to, to be more involved, be more aggressive and win the ball back higher up the pitch from which they can impact the game. But, you know, with Isak, there is potential there, okay? And and granted, I don't watch him every single week, but I have uh, watched him a lot. Um, and what I have seen of him has impressed me. I've always been impressed by him. But uh, yeah, the, the goals thing is the big worry, right? That's the big concern. Can he add more goals to his game? I'd argue that at 22 years old, there's a good chance he can. But my reservation around this is not that, you know, it's not about Alexander Isak. It's about it's about the level of investment required to bring him in. I think if you go and spend 60, 70 million pounds on Dusan Vlavic, or you spend that kind of figure or something in the region of that um, on uh, on Alexander Isak, I think there's a there's more chance of Dusan Vlavic delivering goals and more goals than there is of Alexander Isak. I've always said this to you guys, though, and when we talked about it right at the beginning of the window, we talked about what strikers I'd like to see come in when Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was kicked to the curb, essentially. The thing I kept saying was, I like Isak, and I think that he brings you loads in terms of what he brings to the team. But I think that Vlavic is the better goal scorer. And I said that I felt that Mikel Arteta needed to make a decision. Does he want to kind of sacrifice a little bit of the goal return in order to find somebody that fits and brings the best out of those players around and does all the other bits and pieces outside of the penalty area? Or does he sacrifice a bit of that for the goals? And, and I think the problem we've always had under Mikel Arteta is that Aubameyang was bringing the goals, wasn't giving you those other things. Um, but equally, Lacazette, who does give you those things, hasn't always brought you the goals. And it's, you know, it's about weighing it up and deciding 
uh, what's the right thing. Look, at the end of the day, if we end up with Alexander Isak, I'm not going to be disappointed because I do rate the player and I do think he's got a great future ahead of him. But it's clear that he's not the first choice. It's clear that Dusan Vlavic would have been the first option, the first target. And it looks like we're only turning our attention properly now to Isak because we've been unable up until this point to get that deal done. Uh, let's take this one from uh, Junior Gunner. Thank you so much, mate, for your kind donation. He says, hey, who were the booze directed at yesterday, mate? So there's been a lot of, uh, of debate and discussion about this. There's been a lot of people saying that the team were booed off. I'm not sure that the team were booed off. I I can certainly speak about the people that were around me in the stadium. I thought they were booing the referee and that they were booing the way Burnley had kind of really uh, done a number on us in terms of managing the game, wasting time, et cetera, et cetera, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there was some frustration. There were people around me also shouting Mikel Arteta out and all the usual stuff. But I don't think it was like, first of all, it wasn't the entire stadium that booed. Um, and it wasn't as dramatic or as damning, I don't think, as some people are making it out to be today. Right, let's continue uh, through the chat. In fact, before we continue through the chat, uh, let me just bring up, uh, while we're live on air, breaking news, Watford have sacked Claudio Ranieri. Um, I think we all saw that coming. Watford have never been uh, afraid to pull the trigger on managers, have they? Uh, they're going to be appointing their third manager of the season, it seems. Uh, in the very near future. Right, let's uh, let's go back, though, just to this uh, Isak discussion and this comparison between Alexander Isak and Dusan Vlavic, because I think it's quite important that we do that. Um, and I'm using a site called uh, sofascore.com, which I really like. Um, I really like the way it's set out. I really like the information that you get on this and, and the way you can use it. And, and what I've done is I've used their compare function and I've put... Alexander Isak in, but I've also put Dusan Vlavic in as a comparison. So for those of you watching us on YouTube, the the stats which are rated out of a hundred um, on the in the blue color are those of uh, of Dusan Vlavic, and those in the green are those of Alexander Isak. Now, if you're listening, don't worry, I'm going to explain uh, it to you as well. But if you look attacking um, in that particular attribute, you look at um, you look at the two players, Alexander Isak is rated at 76 out of 100, and that's based on a number of metrics. And Dusan Vlavic is at 83, and he would be because he scores more goals. Uh, you know, he, he's he scores a, a hell of a lot more goals. Uh, people mentioning and right to mention um, that Alexander Isak has managed just four goals this season uh, in the Serie A, sorry, in La Liga. Not quite good enough. Uh, in terms of a goal return, but lots of other positives. Technical ability, Alexander Isak seems to have the upper hand, according to these metrics. Tackling, Alexander Isak has the upper hand, which it could be important in terms of winning the ball higher up the pitch. Uh, he also has the upper hand in the defensive um, in the defensive game. You know, again, important that he can defend, uh, you know, from the front. It's, it's part of what Mikel Arteta wants his centre-forward to do, and in creativity, uh, they're around about the same. He's a big lad, 190 centimetres tall, uh, but of course, uh, Dusan Vlavic is a big lad too. So, yeah, look, it's I think they're very different players. I, I really do. And I think that it's... about Arsenal's ambition. 
we're going to learn a lot about, you know, whether Arsenal are going all in and whether Arsenal are going to support Mikel Arteta in building this squad and building this team. Look, the 90 million euro release clause that is being talked about with Alexander Isak, that is excessive. It is. It really is. Okay. And often, particularly with La Liga clubs, those release clauses are over the top. They are crazy. They are stupid amounts of money. That's to protect those clubs from some of the bigger clubs in Spain coming in and essentially nicking their players from underneath their noses. So, although that is the release clause, do Arsenal need to pay that to get him? Well, technically, no. Technically, no. Arsenal do not need to go and pay 90 million euros to get Alexander Isak. Real Sociedad would be well within their rights to accept an offer of a lower value. And this is what a lot of people are missing. Arsenal could go and tempt Real Sociedad into selling Alexander Isak with a 60, 70 million pound offer. And based on the financial situations that these clubs find themselves in now, particularly in Spain, I wouldn't be surprised if an offer like that was to tempt them, was to bring them to the negotiation table. 90 million euros is the price point at which Real Sociedad are legally obligated to accept the offer and legally obligated to allow us to speak with the player and try and make that deal happen. It's a bit like the Thomas Partey thing, right? We were trying for him. We were trying for him. We were trying for him. We were trying for a lower amount. Atletico Madrid decided they were going to stick to their guns. And on the last day of the transfer window, Arsenal went, do you know what? F it. Here you go. Bang. Release clause triggered. Deal done. The release clause is a last resort for Arsenal. But I'm sure, I'm confident, in fact, that if we were to go and knock on Real Sociedad's door with a big offer, and it, as big I'm talking about £60 million plus, I think that you can, um, you can at least bring these clubs to the negotiation table. I've spoken about it before. The Premier League is in a much stronger position financially than everybody else right now. You know, people were... Uh, dead against the idea of a European Super League. The Premier League is becoming exactly that, a Super League. The financial muscle that some of these Premier League clubs, particularly the bigger ones, have in comparison to those clubs in Spain, like Real Sociedad, is huge. And I just feel that we could potentially make this deal happen with less. Now, obviously, there's not a lot of time left in this transfer window, and that makes it more difficult. Had we begun these discussions at the start of January, there's a good chance that by now we'd have been at a point where, you know, we knew what we had to pay or we knew whether Real Sociedad were interested in taking something a little bit uh, lower or not. Now we're in a place where we might have to trigger the release clause if we're that desperate, just because there isn't time to negotiate and there isn't time to push on this. Look, I put a poll out in the chat earlier on. In fact, before we started the live show, and the question in the poll was, is Alexander Isak worth the reported 90 million euro release clause? And 30% of you think he is. 
70% of you think he's not. Now, I have to lean with the guys that say he's not because I think he's a good talent and he's a good prospect. And just like when we signed Ben White, just like when we signed Aaron Ramsdale, we're going to have to pay a premium to bring somebody in based on what they could be as opposed to what they necessarily are today. But that's what you got to do if you want to get the best players. If you want to move forward, you have to take big risks in the transfer market. And, um, you know, I'm sure that there would be a way in which Arsenal could structure this deal to pay over a period of time. And, and I know that ties us down in other ways going forward. But if Arsenal really believe that this is the guy and really feel like he's the man to bring in, then go and show your ambition and do it. You know, that's what I say. But I would try, as I say, with a lower amount first, because I do think that Real Sociedad, despite having that release clause in to protect themselves, would entertain something in excess of £60 million. It's a huge amount of money for them. And, you know, it can make the world of difference to clubs that are struggling, given the current climate. So that's where I am on that. Um, Vlavic deal looking unlikely. Juventus back in the mix, apparently. Um, you know, and and kind of leading the way, uh, according to a lot of people uh, in in Italy at the moment, in the pursuit of Lavic's signature. Uh, according to David Ornstein, Arsenal turned their attentions to Alexander Risak. We'll keep you up to date on that. But look, I like him, and he was my second choice in terms of the strikers that I wanted to see Arsenal bring in. Vlavic being number one, him number two. You get your number two. It's not the end of the world. Um, I do have reservations and concerns and worries about investing 90 million euros in him. But sometimes in life, when you want something, you've got to overpay for it. That's how you fend off competition. And that's how sometimes you persuade people that don't want to sell to sell. So, yeah, you know, it is what it is. And look, as someone pointed out, I think uh, earlier on during the stream, you, you know, you, you don't really care. Uh, how much it costs. It's not our money as long as he performs. And um, and that's, I guess, that's true. But there is, I guess, a, a reluctance from Arsenal fans to see the club overspend on players because it's burnt us in the past. And because we're now stuck with a few players who we overpaid for that we just can't seem to get rid of. And obviously that drives people crazy and it's hindering us moving forward. Let's take some of your questions in the live chat box. Get your questions in. Um, I'd love to hear from you guys, and I'm going to take as many of those as I possibly can between now and the end of the stream. Uh, there's over 350 of you watching us live right now, but we've only got 84 likes on the YouTube stream. What on earth is going on? Hit that like button, subscribe to the channel if you are new. Right, let's take some of your questions then from the live chat. Uh, Saw a good one. Where is it? Here it is. Matt G says, Harry, would you pay £90 million if Isak was our only striker option this month? Oh, it's a tough question, Matt. It's a tough question because the, the last thing I want is to get to the final weeks of the season and narrowly miss out on what we're aiming to achieve because we didn't act in January because we failed to address a problem that was so clear and evident in January. You know, sometimes you set your expectations at the start of the season. You go well in accordance to those. And I think we have gone well in accordance to those up till now. And then 
you realize or you you have an opportunity to add something or do something or make a move that just cements that that just cements your place in the top four top six whatever it is and bringing in a striker it doesn't cement it it doesn't guarantee that we will get in the champions league i've said throughout sorry i've said throughout that i don't think we're favorites to finish in the top four regardless of how good we were at the back end of last year i still think that Manchester United are, are favourites in comparison to us. And I still think that Manchester United will probably achieve that position. But there's an opportunity for Arsenal to really increase their chances of finishing in the top four if they go and bring in a top, top striker. The problem is here, Matt, is that going back to that point again about not wanting to overspend and not wanting to be stuck with players, it's it's a case of, do you give up on your priority targets and settle for somebody else for the sake of a few months? Or do you persist and chase the player that you feel is number one at the top of the list? Doesn't that show more ambition than going and, and splashing out 90-odd uh, million on somebody that you're not 100% sure about? I don't know. That That's, you know, that's for the club to decide and that's for the club to work out. But I think we need a striker this month and I would be okay with them bringing in a stopgap striker um, as long as the investment wasn't huge, as long as it was something that was manageable, maybe a loan or something, just to give us a different option off the bench. If that meant that then in the summer we could reset and go again and go after someone who would be the main man moving forward. You know, I'm happy to to kind of park that and, and patch that position up if it means that in the summer we can get the guy that we really want. And um, and I think that, you know, although that might see us end up falling short, I think that's the sensible way to do things. When you talk about rebuild and you talk about building up from the ground again, it has to be done properly. And unfortunately, in years gone by, it hasn't been done properly. We don't have a sugar daddy owner who's just going to pump money in left, right and centre to allow us to accelerate that build. It had, to, it was always going to have to happen over a series of transfer windows. And would I rush into bringing in a striker that I'm not totally convinced about or pay probably double what I think a striker is actually worth just to get someone in in January rather than in the summer? I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm really not. Uh, let's, uh, let's move forward. Let's see. Uh, what else we've got here? Uh, Alex says, uh, Harry, if not Isak, who else is going to sell this close to the end of the window? Yeah, it's a great point. It's a great point. And I'm really frustrated about the idea of um, of leaving everything this late. And, and I said it before, you know, the midfield situation, we left it so bloody late that you might as well now park that until the summer. You know, next game, when we come back to play Premier League football again, you'll have Thomas Partey, you'll have Granite Xhaka, you'll have Mohamed Onneni and you'll have Sambi Lekonga all available for midfielders to play in two central midfield positions with no European football and no cup football. In which case, I don't want you to go out and force a deal through for someone that in 12 months' time we're going to have to move on again. I'd rather you just wait. The, the, the damage in that particular area of the park has already been done this month. So why compound one mistake by making another is the point I would make around that. Um, uh, Wayne says, I disagree, Harry. 60 million for Isak. No way. We need goals. Anything over 30 is way too much for someone who doesn't improve the goal numbers. Yeah, look, I think 
I think with Alexander Isak though, you got to be you got to be fair because last season uh, he managed 17 goals in the league. Um, you know, the season before nine, it's not great, but he is young and he, he has proven at least last season that he can score goals. But again, it goes back to the point I made earlier, mate. If you look at a lot of the transfer fees that Arsenal are having to lay out at the moment in order to acquire the players that they want, you often have to pay a little bit more than you'd like based on, as I keep saying, what the player has the potential to become because that is a factor in the valuation of somebody um, as opposed to what they've done in the past. You, you know, in, the, in years gone by, Arsenal have given players, for example, huge, unreasonable contracts based on what they've done in the past without considering what they were going to actually do or be like in the future. And I would say that the reverse is true here. If you're a club that owns somebody like Alexander Isak or any other young, exciting prospect, whom the press are, are raving about and whom is attracting interest of multiple clubs, then you will inflate their valuation based on the, the progress that they could make. And obviously, there's no guarantee that they do make that progress. Every transfer, as I always say, always famously say, has a huge degree of risk to it. But, um, you know, we're going to have to pay over the top. Uh, 60 million still feels a little bit heavy for me, but it's much closer to what I think he's actually worth then 90 million would be. And that's that's simply the point I'm making. Uh, what else have we got? Um, uh, Luyanda says, let's be honest, Harry, there's no striker available in January or the summer who can amass 20 plus goals a season in the league. Yeah, I know some people talk as if strikers grow on trees and that's certainly not the case. Uh, Soul Checker says, how do you see this mini break impacting us? I... I, I kind of made this point yesterday. I, I don't think in fact, I think we're desperate for it. I think there's no better time for Arsenal to go out there and, and have a break and, and take some time out than now. You know, we, we desperately, desperately need it. Um, if only just to get players back, if only just to kind of reset a little bit and uh, allow people to return back to the full fitness because we've been running on empty. We've been like a car uh, running out of gas lately, and, and that's that's how it's felt. Um, let's see what else we've got in the chat. In fact, hold your horses there. We're going to take a short pause for those of you listening on the audio platforms for a quick message with regards to our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast part two, where we will continue to take some of your questions on today's big stories. Just to recap, Alexander Isak is, according to David Ornstein, a target for Mikel Arteta's Arsenal with a deal for Dusan Vlavic this month looking increasingly unlikely. Uh, also, a couple of other bits and pieces. Uh, Carl Hine, the young Arsenal goalkeeper, is uh, joining Reading on loan until the end of the season. I think that's a decent move for him. Uh, and also, we'll come on to talk about the interest that Arsenal have uh, and the progress in their negotiations over the Brazilian Artur, uh, who is currently on Juventus's books in a little bit as well. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Mark, and this is a great point. When you ask the question about whether Alexander Isak is worth what we're talking about, the big question is, is Champions League worth Isak's release clause? 
Well, there's kind of a sub question inside that, Mark. And that sub question is, do you think that Alexander Isak is enough to guarantee Arsenal Champions League football? If you do, then actually that sort of money doesn't feel like that big of a deal. And it feels like a lot of that investment will be returned. But if you don't, um, then then obviously there's a there's a greater element of risk there. Uh, Pavel says, uh, Harry, do you think other clubs will soon try and get our sackers, Emil Smith-Rose and Martinelli's, etc.? Look, naturally, when you have talented players and you're not at the level that you want to be, there will be people circling. And if Arsenal can't match the ambition or the level of those players as they continue to grow and develop, then, of course, people will be knocking on the door. Uh, Wayne with another super chat. Thank you so much, man. Really, really appreciate it. Honestly, it is truly appreciated. He says... Rather wait till the summer and then spend 90 million on a player who doesn't improve the goal numbers and then end up having to get rid of more dead weight. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I agree with the whole um, wait till the summer if it means you're going to definitely get the right option. Um, but Alexander Isak, in, in particular, from what we understand and from what we've heard, uh, is definitely not someone that Arsenal have just... Um, have just set their sights on. He's someone that they've been looking at for a while. Uh, lots of you commenting about the mic. Uh, time to get a new mic. Um, is it time to buy a new mic, Harry? Do you know what? I'll tell you what it is. And it's really bloody annoying because I spent a lot of money on this mic. I spent like nearly 200 quid on this particular microphone. But what keeps happening is I keep like knocking it. And the wire, as you can see, yeah, can you see it on the screen? There's a wire that goes into the bottom of it. And what keeps happening is I keep knocking the wire, which disconnects the microphone. And StreamYard as a software, when the mic is disconnected, just automatically mutes you. Um, maybe I need to do something. Maybe I need to pin the wire somewhere so that I'm not knocking it when I'm on a live stream. But get a bit passionate. What can I do? <laughs> uh, right. Let's keep moving uh, through the chat box. Um, what have we got? Uh, Wesbird says, uh, do you think going forward, Arteta will go for a world-class midfielder to partner Partey in the summer or will he still continue to partner one with Xhaka? Um, look, I think we we need more than two options in that, in that midfield. We need to be in a position where if one of them's missing, we've got ample cover. And, um, and particularly if Arsenal have aspirations of being in Europe again next season, if you're going to be playing in Europe, there'll be far more game time available to offer to some of these players to keep them sharp, to keep them fit. So, um, look, I think Partey was part of the long-term plan. He's someone that Arsenal brought in. There were talks and rumours about Xhaka leaving in the summer, which suggested to me that he's not quite as indispensable um, you know, as, uh, as, as some would suggest, because Arsenal were open to the idea of moving him on from what we led to believe or we were led to believe. Obviously, Roma never matched that valuation. And so Arsenal felt it better in the end to keep hold of him. But the fact that they were even entertaining discussions suggests that, you know, they could they could move him on. Uh, what else have we got in the chat box? Um Alex says, that's what you get for buying a USB mic. Yeah, you're right. And the thing is, I've got XLR mics here as well. Um, I had them all set up. Uh, maybe I need to go back to that. Maybe I need to make a new investment. If everybody signs up as a member, then uh, yeah, then it'll be easy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but if you do want to sign up as a member and become uh, a supporter of the channel so that you can join me on our members podcast, the next of which takes place on Wednesday at 5 p.m., then please do hit the link in the description. 
Uh, Alex says, Harry, do you think Arte uh, do you think Aubameyang has been exiled by Arteta or Aubameyang is refusing to play for Arsenal again because of the actions taken against him? So again, I don't um I don't know this for a fact, but my kind of understanding of of what's gone down and what's gone on from sort of various conversations I've had is that he was disciplined for breaching the disciplinary guidelines and he didn't respond particularly well to being disciplined. And now there's a bit of a standoff between Aubameyang and Arteta. Arteta not backing down as as, as is correct, I think, based on, on what Aubameyang's done repeatedly, by the way. Um, uh, but Aubameyang won't be making those noises publicly, will he? Aubameyang will always make it out as though or, or want to make it seem like he's been a model professional, doesn't want to damage his reputation, doesn't want people to look and point the finger at him. I feel like Aubameyang uh, is, is, has stayed relatively quiet about it all because if he comes out and, you know, tells the truth, that it will paint him in a bad light. Otherwise, you would come out, wouldn't you? And you'd fight your corner and you'd back your corner. Uh, particularly when you're in a power position like him, where you've still got another year on your contract, you've got a big contract. I just think that there's obviously there's been uh, a disagreement there. And as I say, from what I've been told, Aubameyang didn't respond particularly well to that disciplinary action and those procedures and uh, and has, has been equally as difficult. Uh, moving forward, um, Arsenal legend says that, Harry, this is typical of Arsenal fans not getting what they want. They bash the other guy they want to get yeah look I mean it's it's a hard one isn't it because if you had told me at the start of the window that we were going to potentially bring in Alexander Isak I'd have been quite happy with that and I think most of us would have been but then you get linked with Dusan Vlavic who a lot of us feel would bring a lot more of a potent goal threat and then that sort of starts to fall apart or or, or fails to materialize is, is probably the better term and naturally you're going to be slightly disappointed but I think a lot of people would have been quite positive about Alexander Isak prior to the Vlavic um, story coming out and, and that interest being reported but then when you consider that Vlavic is is available at least in the club's eyes for 60 65 million euros and then Alexander Isak who scored uh, dramatically less goals um is uh is is being mooted at 90 million euros then obviously it's going to look a little bit strange and as though it doesn't quite make sense to people what i would say though and again i just want to reiterate this point the 90 million euro release clause is not what real sociedad or anybody believes that alexander isak is worth in the current market so when people keep saying oh you know he's not worth 90 million euros i think most of the people in the world <laughs> agree with you that he's not worth 90 million euros. But as I keep saying, it doesn't mean that you have to pay 90 million euros for Real Sociedad to entertain the conversation or for Real Sociedad to accept your offer. That release clause is simply in place to ensure that people don't come in and pinch him. But if you make an offer of 60 million pounds and Real Sociedad like that, they can accept that. You know, it's not it's not set in such a way that you can't offer below that. That's just the amount that you can trigger that release clause with and, and essentially bypass Real Sociedad and having to convince them of the deal. So, yeah. 
what else have we got in the chat box? Um, lots of you enticing those watching us to join the Discord server. Yeah, come over. All you need to do is uh, sign up as a member uh, at any tier and you can join our Discord server. We'd love uh, to have you there. Uh, Moss says, if you become a member, it's the key to us get some transfers in as well. Yep, agreed. Afsar says, smash the likes. Yes, please do. Let's have a look. We've got 142 likes on the board. Let's get that up to 200 because there's nearly 500 of you watching us right now. Uh, so there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to do that. Um, lots of you bringing up uh, the Claudio Ranieri thing. Uh, that news has been broken while we're live on air that Claudio Ranieri has been sacked by Watford. Not surprised in the slightest. But I tell you what, I I, I highly rate Claudio Ranieri, not just because of what he'd done uh, with Leicester City, but because I think he's a really good manager in terms of stabilising people, uh, in terms of stabilising clubs. And I actually thought that when he was appointed by Watford, it was a really shrewd and smart appointment. I just... Um, I, I just, I don't know. I'm not sure that sacking him is is the right thing unless they've got someone lined up who's going to come in straight away. But it's the Watford way. And given the size of club that they are, I think that they have uh, been successful in terms of how many times they've been up in the top flight, been a bit of a yo-yo club up and down under the Pozzos, etc. But, you know, I think they um, they normally do get it right although it's a bit unorthodox and although it's a bit sort of unnerving as someone watching on, you know, can you really argue with it? I'm not sure. You know, it might save them. It might not. Only time will tell. Uh, what else have we got? Um, <laughs> some of you saying, let's get Ranieri. Um Peanut butter jelly time says, why do us Arsenal fans care about the transfer figure? It's not like we're paying for it. I'd have Isak, at least he wants to play for us and he will give us his all. Yeah. And again, you know, that's the debate we've been having throughout the month. You know, how much do you value the player wanting to come and play for your club? How much do you, um, do you value the player being all in on the project? How much do you value not having to convince a player that you are the right move for him. And, and based on what we're led to believe, Alexander Isak would be quite keen on a move to Arsenal in contrast to Dusan Vlavic, who, according to the Fiorentina president, Comiso is not even picking up the phone uh, when we're trying to get involved. Let's see. I don't know. Uh, what else uh, have we got in the chat box? Uh, Antone says, uh, Harry, I can't go back to Aubameyang after the Adebayor comment. I just can't. Adebayor is just bitter. You know, and he has been since he left Arsenal. We all know the story that he told that he didn't want to leave the club, etc. And we all know that Arsenal during that period were forced to sell players in a lot of instances because of the financial state of the club. And, um, you know, and, and for that, I have some sympathy with Adebayo, but the way he carries on about it is just, it's embarrassing. Um, you know, there's too many of these these players who just can't get over something and just keep banging on about it and bringing it up. I mean, Emmy Martinez is a prime example of that, right? Um, I'm surprised he hasn't talked about Arsenal uh, being, you know, involved in his new Villa contract. Like, he just loves to involve us in every conversation. And Adebayor um, made those comments, says that the club aren't willing to forgive or haven't learned to forgive. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's not broken the rules just the once. And I would argue that you shouldn't be breaking the rules. If me or you broke the rules 
um, you know, in our current jobs, depending on the severity of it, we'd be sanctioned as well. We'd be punished as well. So why are footballers any different to that? And why is uh, somebody like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang or, in fact, Emmanuel Adebayor exempt from that? Uh, George Davis says, uh, what about signing Patrick Schick? Is he not affordable considering his tally in the Bundesliga? Please, Harry, your thoughts. I like Patrick Schick. Um, obviously spent some time in Italy, seen quite a bit of him there. Uh, saw quite a bit of him at the Euros as well. Where I thought he was very, very good. Scored a wonderful goal. Um, scored a, a few goals, but there was one particular goal. I think it was against Scotland that, that stands out to me. Um, yeah, look, I think that's somebody that you you could potentially um, consider. Uh, but again, does, does Patrick Schick fall into that um, that category of for the long term? Or, or does he fall into that category of what it is that we're trying to do? And I, I'm not sure. He's 26 years old. Um, he's got... 18 goals, I think, in the Bundesliga this season. Yeah, 18 goals. It's pretty impressive. Um, tw Yeah, 26 years old, left-footed, big lad as well, 191 centimetres tall. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be against it. You know, I wouldn't be against it, but Patrick Schick would likely uh, be valued very high by his current club. You know, by a Leverkusen, um, I'm sure will be uh, well aware of his importance to their side. You talk about that goal tally I've just mentioned, clearly a big, big player for them. And and again, you get into the end of the window and and are you going to be able to persuade these clubs that, that they they should part ways with these players, players of that importance? I think with somebody like Alexander Isak, you're willing to go that extra mile financially to persuade them because of, again, that point potential. Um and I think that can sometimes be the difference between a club deciding to, you know, smash the transfer record or whatever to get that deal done, uh, as opposed to somebody like Patrick Schick, who's in just a slightly different category in terms of his age, in terms of what we've seen of him and, and the fact that I feel uh, he's probably at his best now. That will make Arsenal, I think, reluctant to go and say, well, here's 60 million for Schick. I think they'd be more willing to pay on someone like Isak or Vlavic, again, as I keep saying, because of potential. Uh, Ron Wolf says, hi, Harry, I think we must not rush into transfers and make decisions that we as a club will regret. The Europa spot looks possible, so let's focus on the league and sign the best possible players in the summer. Yeah, um, but th this is the thing, Ron Wolf, and it's the big kind of argument and debate that I've been having with people over the last couple of days. Um, Europa League, for me, would be a good achievement. It's not the best achievement. It's not the best possible outcome. The maximum and best possible outcome for me would be to finish in the top four. But was I confident at the start of the season that we would finish in the top four? No, I wasn't. Why would I have been? Manchester City, Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester United at the start of the season for me were nailed on for the top four. Nailed on. And the only reason that Arsenal, Spurs, West Ham or even in the conversation, is because Manchester United had obviously a really poor run, which led to the sacking of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But I still think they have the squad and the team uh, to get back there. And I, you know, if I were a betting man, I would be betting on Manchester United of those teams that we're talking about finishing in that fourth spot. And so if we're saying that, then 
Arsenal missing out on it just is not a disaster, is it? You know, this is what I mean. Uh, if you're talking about Arsenal's maximum being fourth, but the um, the minimum expectation or the minimum acceptable is sixth, you're only talking about two positions in between that. You know, you're talking about fourth, fifth and sixth position, three positions. You're only talking about those positions. So if you finish fifth and you were three points off of the top four, is that a disaster season, given what I've just said? And bearing in mind that most people agreed with that at the start of the season, that the top four was pretty much nailed on. You know, I, th this is where I'm at. This is where um, th this is where my head's at. And this is why I feel like, aside from the results, it's about the progress in terms of the squad developing it, the players that we're backing and the young guys getting better and moving forward. Um, you know, it's... Um, I, th I think that's important. I think that that is obviously um, part of, of how you'll assess it. The results will obviously depend or determine how you see the season as well overall. But I think there's a lot more to it than just saying, oh, we finished three points outside of the top four. So we failed for the top four, which means we're shit and there's no progress. That's kind of the point I'm making here. Goal gone in in the game between uh, in the African Cup of Nations. I think Gambia has scored. I just... Missed that, just had a glance. Let's have a quick look. Oh, lovely. Skips away from the defender, slots it home. Gambia lead. Good stuff. Uh, let's go back to the chat box. Uh, Inter says, fifth under the previous manager was a huge disaster. It wasn't a huge disaster. It was a disaster because of the way it came about. It was frustrating because of the way it came about, because he decided to make wholesale changes in two Premier League home games against Brighton and Crystal Palace, where we dropped points and then missed out on the top four as a result. You've also got to remember that Arsenal were only out of the Champions League for what? Two seasons before then? Two seasons? Was it two seasons before Unai Emery came in? So... We weren't this club that had been used to being out of the Champions League. The reason Unai Emery, an experienced manager, was hired was to come in and quickly bridge the gap between Arsenal um, outside of the top four and, and getting us back into the top four. That's what his remit was. When the appointment was made with Mikel Arteta, that was a realisation of the fact that Arsenal had actually fallen even further behind and now we needed to rebuild and restructure. That's why Mikel Arteta was hired. Unai Emery was not hired like that. Unai Emery, uh, sorry, was not hired with that idea. Unai Emery was hired with the idea, well, he's experienced. He's great in the Europa League. He will get us back in the Champions League quickly. His remit was very different to that of Mikel Arteta, who's been tasked with rebuilding the team, building a new team, building a new squad and rebuilding the club. Therefore, naturally, he's going to get more time because the owners and those running the football club are understanding of what he's been brought in to do. I'm not even saying that Arteta is a better manager than Unai Emery. There's loads of you in the chat going, oh, you know, um, uh, Emery's level's better. I'm not saying that he's not. You know, of course he's a better manager than Mikel Arteta. Look at his record. Look at what he's achieved. Look at his experience. Now compare that to Mikel Arteta's. Of course he's a better manager on paper. The point I'm trying to make is that the two were brought in with very different remits, with very different objectives. And I'm measuring those 
and I'm measuring the two guys based on what we believe those objectives were. Unai Emery was brought in to come in and get us back in the Champions League straight away, not in three seasons' time. But once we continue, once we missed out, got humiliated in the Europa League final, and then had a dreadful start to the following season, Arsenal realised now it's three years out of the Champions League or whatever it was, and we need to rebuild. Therefore, we need to hire someone who's going to oversee that rebuild, um, who is going to change the culture, who's going to do all of those things behind the scenes as well. Unai Emery wasn't that man. You know, he isn't that man. He's never been that man. Unai Emery is a manager who's had success in cup competitions in the Europa League, um, where he's managed his teams impeccably and he's got over the line. But his league form has never been something to shout about. Not anywhere he's been. And that's the reality with Unai Emery, but people don't want to look at that. If you hire, if I hire someone to come in and fix my garden, he's a gardener. I expect he's going to do the job that I hired him in for. If I hire someone to come in and decorate my living room, he's a decorator and I've brought him in to decorate the living room. Therefore, I'm going to judge him on what I've asked him to do. I'm not going to judge the gardener on how well he puts wallpaper up and I'm not going to judge the decorator on how tidy he makes my garden look. That's the, You judge people on what they're brought in to do. And those two guys had very, very different remits. And that's the reality of it. People don't want to accept it. People don't want to deal with it. People don't want to um, understand it. But that's that's the point. Uh, Inter says uh, eighth twice. Is that league good league form? No, I never said it was. You're, you're trying to put words into my mouth to bait me out. Um, no, it's not good. But again, it goes back to the whole point and the whole idea of what was he brought in to do? The league position was not the priority of the club when they decided that they were going to rebuild and bring in Mikel Arteta. Now, that is annoying as a fan to hear because none of us want to see Arsenal low down the table. I don't ever remember Arsenal being in eighth in the table. So I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that at all. But Arsenal made the decision that if they re if they bring someone in with the idea of fixing things for the long term, they would sacrifice those league positions and be not happy to do it, but okay with that happening if it meant that in the long term we were set up in a better fashion, if it meant that in the long term we were set up in a better way where we had young, homegrown, developed players who would then take us up to that next level. That's the way they chose to go as a football club. Doesn't mean it's acceptable, but Mikel Arteta has not been sacked based on those eighth place league positions, which suggests, and bearing in mind, only one of those was a full season. Okay, but let's let's the the fact that he's still in the job suggests that they're quite happy as long as the other work that they want done is being done. And you might not like it. I might not like it. But if this Arsenal team really blows up and these young players really do come together and develop and next season we're competing at a much higher level, you'd say it would have been worth it. And that's the point. Uh, Fred says, uh, what is the club's priority, Harry? Making money incompetence. The club's priority is to try and get back to the upper echelons of the Premier League, to try and get back to being a regular participant in the UEFA Champions League in a certain way. And that way is with regards to building youth, investing smartly, and by trying to um, to close the gap on those sides uh, ahead of us and above us in a sustainable way, because we don't 
want to spend the funds that Chelsea do, that Man City do, uh, that Man United do. That's 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 what they're trying to do. They're trying to build a structure that is sustainable, whereby we develop talent, we uh, identify talent early, we sign that talent up, and we, uh, with a good young progressive coach, continuously uh, stay competitive. That's the the ambition. It's not quite happened yet. You know, I'm the first to admit that. Uh, but that's the idea. That's why when people say, oh, Emery didn't get sacked when he finished just outside the top four. But, uh, you know, uh, sorry, Emery got sacked when he finished outside of the top four and Arteta doesn't because Arteta has been tasked with something very different. And that's it. As Steve says, it's all your fault, Harry. Hashtag blame Harry. Completely agree. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just bored of going over the same thing. Like I'm I'm bored of talking about the fundamental differences between Unai Emery and Mikel Arteta's tenure. It's clear to see. Uh, the fact that Mikel Arteta has been backed so much more in the transfer market as well uh, tells you that everything is being done with a much um, long, a much more long-term view or a much longer-term view than how things were being done uh, under Unai Emery. And look, let's be like, why do people make out that Unai Emery's time at Arsenal was... Why do people make out that Unai Emery's time was this huge fucking success? I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. We were, we we missed out. We crashed in the Europa League final. We, it was an embarrassing defeat in the final against the rival. We missed out because we couldn't convert in home games against Brighton and Crystal Palace. You know, if that was nowadays, we'd be going mad about it. And the following season was a shambles, which is why he lost his job in November. We brought in a load of dreadful players who to this day we're still stuck with in a lot of instances and we're trying to we've been trying to move out. His time was crap as well. Yeah, let's be honest about it. And why is he being painted as this martyr because of uh, because of Mikel Arteta and, and your opinions on that? You can say that you don't rate Mikel Arteta and you can say that he's the wrong man and you can say all of that and you'd have a very valid point. But why are we pretending that Unai Emery was this this godsend that that we refused to believe and we crucified off the back of that. Come on, give me a break. Right, uh, let's quickly check in where we're at on the likes right now. There's over 500 of you watching us across the multiple platforms, but there's only 186 likes on the board. So please do hit that like button if you haven't done so already. Let's get up to the, um, the 200 mark. Uh, I'd love to, um, I'd love to get there. Uh, <laughs> Ray Anderson says, try to tape the microphone wire on the table. That way it doesn't get plugged out when you're excited. Good point. Uh, Arsenalologist says, unrelated, but what do you think about Arsenal fan YouTuber Curtis Shaw? Seems constantly very negative towards the club and Arteta. It's not healthy. I like Curtis. I think he's fantastic. And um, uh, he's been on here before. I've been on there uh, before. I think Curtis is brilliant. With Curtis, you know um, that even if you disagree with him, it's coming from the right place. And I think that's important. I don't have an issue with people who disagree with me um, as, as long as it's coming from the right place. And it's not just somebody trying to drive clicks and I, and I don't for a second believe that's what Curtis does so uh big up to him and uh and a shout out to Curtis and his channel check it out uh right let's um I think we're going to leave it there I think we're going to leave it there we've been running for well over an hour and uh yeah um 
lots of good discussion, as always. Lots of contentious points, as always, which is what it's all about. We'll be back tomorrow with some more Arsenal-related content. Uh, until then, take care of yourselves and uh, stay safe. All the best. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.